I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller, and we are breaking down the available players on the wire in hopefully a good number of fantasy baseball leagues. Calendar just about to flip to September, so we're here for the stretch run, trying to break it down each and every week. And this is the same as last week in that the bulk of the players that are interesting are pitchers. That's probably going to be the case most weeks the rest of the way. We know that every league is unique where there might be some injured players who were dropped that have come back, but the primary focus yet again this week will be on the available pitching. Beller, how's it going for you on this Sunday? It is going good, DVR. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I think it's what we come to expect at this time of year. Obviously, deep, deep, deep into August, calendar about to flip over to September. These are uh, the kinds of players that are typically ava- available in fantasy leagues, but just because they are few and far between doesn't mean they can't make a change for uh, teams going forward. So uh, it's still a good group of guys to break down. Yeah, we had one prospect debut last week. There are plenty of leagues where he was not even available to be picked up last weekend. So we're going to start there. Edward Cabrera in Miami, I think, is a really interesting player to dig into. We're talking about a guy that I think was 20th on Keith Law's final prospect rankings list prior to the season. Dealt with some arm injuries that have slowed him down to this point in his career. I think it was right shoulder discomfort last year. Uh, This is a guy that I think can be maybe a sort of fantasy ace, actually, at some point in his career. What he's going to be done the stretch might be something totally different, but his matchup this week on the road against the Mets in the debut, I thought Cabrera looked A, really good, and, and B, he pitched six and a third innings. Just to see a young guy come in and be efficient enough to get that far into his first start, I think was a really encouraging sign. He'd piled up uh, three double-digit strikeout games just prior to his promotion from AAA. Uh, is he the best available pitcher out there in a good number of leagues this weekend? I think he's got to be the best available pitcher out there in a good number of leagues. And I would say that if we're looking at a a wide array of guys, that he's probably the best pitcher who's generally out there. Uh, You said it. What what puts him over the top for me, DVR, we know the prospect pedigree is there for him. And so that right off the bat is going to make him really interesting. But the six and a third innings pitched that you mentioned, that's really what puts him over the top for me because it signals to us that the Marlins are going to let him rip. The Marlins are going to let him do what uh, he can do to his fullest extent for the remainder of the season. They're not going to treat him with kid gloves. There's not going to be any extreme pitch count on him. They're not going to let him go out and throw 120 or 130 pitches, but they're basically going to let him pitch to failure. And so I like that they have that already built in for him. So he's someone who pretty much regardless, I would have to be awfully stacked in the starting rotation to not be interested in him in any fantasy league. 15, 14, 12 teamers, I'm in on him. 
Yeah, the big part of that, too, is the home park gives him a lot of cushion for the home starts. This particular matchup on the road, this is a Mets team that's second to last in runs scored for the season. Like, they have struggled to put runs on the board, and I realize they've dealt with a lot of injuries, but they've been below average in terms of WRC+, plus, sitting at 93. Even at full strength, they might be more like a league average offense at this point in the season. So a good enough matchup, even on the road, where I'd be comfortable turning Edward Cabrera loose. And I actually think... It's kind of close depending on who else is available. There's a couple guys that have been banged up this year that could be out there that are on the same level. One of them is Carlos Carrasco. 12 strikeouts against one walk in his last two starts. That's five earned runs over 12 innings during that span. It just kind of looks like he's starting to get it together again. And just as facing the Mets is a pretty good matchup right now, the Marlins are an even better one. So even if I didn't have a lot of faith that Carrasco was putting all the pieces back together for what could be a big September, I'd be pretty excited about him in the leagues where he's available. It's about 20% of CBS leagues again, so you're kind of picking your spots carefully where you can actually get him. But if Carrasco is out there versus Edward Cabrera, do you go to Cookie or do you go to the youngster? Yeah, this is why I held back on saying that Cabrera is definitely the best pitcher available because if Carrasco is available in your league, I would rather go after him than Cabrera. Easily the one too. I think you're if you're if you're in the pitching market, you're looking to see if Carrasco's available in your league and if he's not, then you can pretty quickly and easily pivot to Cabrera. But I buy what we've seen from Carrasco over these last couple of starts, uh, the 12Ks against the one walk. I think that that's representative of what he can be for the remainder of the season and uh, he's only in this position because of all the injuries that he's dealt with this year. So it's been an incredibly disappointing second half, to say the least, in New York for the Mets, obviously, not for the Yankees. But uh, I think that Carlos Carrasco can be something of a bright spot for this team and certainly for his fantasy managers in September, all in on Carrasco having a strong finish to the year. Yeah, I think uh, I was watching the Mets cling to their very slim playoff hopes last night. Michael Conforto hit a big homer to sort of keep their season alive, give them a reason to keep it going here uh, through the final weeks of the season. It's going to take a lot of things going right. One of them would be Carrasco pitching really well. And I think one of them would be Rich Hill pitching really well. And he'll get a matchup at home against the Marlins as well. It seems like people are all over the place with whether or not they actually believe in Rich Hill for the season now sitting at a 411 ERA and a 120 whip. Uh, a little under a strikeout per inning, 115 Ks and 127 innings. I tend to err on the side of Rich Hill is still good, but I realize if you go back just a few starts, he failed to get through four innings twice against the Giants and against the Nats. So I know the ceiling most times out probably is that five-inning mark, but he did it last time out against Washington, piled up eight Ks along the way. It was easily the most he's had since, geez, I think that 13K game way back in May. So where do you fall on Rich Hill at this point in the season, given the, the up-and-down nature, especially with the strikeouts? Yeah, it's the lack of consistency that has me leaning toward out more than in, but I just think he is what he is at this stage of the season. So the way that we maybe distill that into fantasy advice is that if you are looking for back-end pitching help, he certainly is someone who can fill that void. And then you just sort of have to take what you can get. I mean, you know what you're getting into with Rich Hill. You're not going to rely on him for deep starts. You're not going to rely on him for consistent production. It's just not the guy he's been this year. And it'd be ridiculous of you to expect him to suddenly be that guy down the stretch. We know that baseball is a sport that can turn over in a big way year after year. But guys pretty much are what their stats say they are on August 29th. And so Rich Hill is a inconsistent guy who can be solid, especially with the strikeouts when he's good and can really hurt you 
when he's bad. And if you're comfortable taking a shot on a guy like that, Rich Hill fills that void, and he's going to get to start every single turn through the rotation the rest of the way. And so that availability is certainly nice. You like this matchup against Miami, I would go after him for this week, but that says nothing of the weeks beyond it. Yeah, I, I think he is very matchup dependent at this point in the season, but that's a matchup that I absolutely want to take advantage of for Rich Hill. Now, I'm watching the news on Sunday very closely for an update on Jose Urquidy because of all these pitchers, he might be the guy that I like the absolute most from a pure skills standpoint. If he's back from the IL, it would be against San Diego. It's a Padres team that's really struggling right now. Petco, obviously, still a very good place to pitch. So this is not a confirmed start, but it looks like Urquidy's making that last rehab start that he needs before coming off the IL from a shoulder injury on Sunday at the Sugarland affiliate. Uh, if we find out that Urquidy is cleared, how does he stack up to these other pitchers we've discussed so far? Right there in that Carrasco and Cabrera goop for me, comfortably ahead of Hill. And I could argue, I, I could see where you would argue him over Carrasco and Cabrera. The one spot where I would maybe pull back just a little bit on Urquidy, a familiar theme for me is Houston obviously wants a fully healthy, ready-to-go Jose Urquidy in October. And so maybe they build him up slowly in September. Don't challenge him too much, especially since they have the arms around the rest of that staff to pull it back or to take things slow with Urquidy. That's purely my speculation. We haven't heard anything like that from Houston, and I suppose you could argue the other side that they want to get him ramped up and ready for October. So it's a lot of speculation, and that's why I, but because of that, because of that potential uncertainty surrounding just how deep he'll be pitching into games, that's why I put him more in the group with Cabrera and Carrasco rather than comfortably ahead of those two guys. Yeah, I think there is kind of a, a clear break either after Urquidy or after Hill, depending on whether you want to put Hill in this top group. But at least three very interesting pitchers, maybe four, that are pretty widely available for the time of year at least. So definitely looking at those guys very closely. I think if I knew Urquidy were coming back, I think I'd actually sneak him to the top of this list. It'd be Urquidy, Carrasco, Cabrera, Hill for redraft leagues. Obviously, there's any sort of long-term component. Edward Cabrera probably is the most exciting of the bunch, followed by Urquidy, then Carrasco, then Hill. Hill, who knows if he comes back and pitches again next year. That's kind of a, an obvious thing kind of lurking <laughs> in the background with him. Uh, let's talk about Drew Rasmussen for a second. I didn't think we were going to talk about Drew Rasmussen on this podcast at all. I mean, I thought he was going to be a good reliever for the Rays after the Brewers sent him to Tampa Bay as part of the Willie Adamas trade. And I was wrong. Drew Rasmussen stretched out as a starter and I think got to five innings last time out. I didn't really ever doubt the talent from Drew Rasmussen coming through the Brewers system. I was worried about the durability because he's had multiple Tommy John surgeries. But now that he's fully stretched out and getting used kind of like a normal starter, we at least have to think about him as a streaming option. The problem I saw looking at the schedule grid He's got the Red Sox at home this week, and then he goes to Boston to face them again next week. So how deep does the league have to be, and what kind of circumstances would you have to be in to go after Rasmussen at this point? Yeah, it would have to be something where I really didn't care too much about my rates any longer. I could see maybe going after him in daily leagues or in, in you know maybe even in head-to-head -head formats where things turn over every single week. I could see doing something like that with Drew Rasmussen, but because of these back-to-back -back Boston matchups, it's hard to fully get on board with him, especially when you look beyond that. And I mean, you know, two more matchups and now we're suddenly into the second full week of September and, you know, the end of the season is right around the corner. So I think you would have to be in that throw my hands up, don't really care about my rates. Let me get some innings. Let me get some strikeouts. Let me chase some wins. If that's you, 
Sure, throw Rasmussen on your list. If that's not you, I'm probably waiting until these Boston matchups pass. It's kind of uh, the the fun side of not necessarily being in a position to win your league when you yeah. can throw darts like this. <laughs> like, oh, what could go right? And if you throw 10 amazing darts, somehow you get back in, you cash or something. I mean, that's probably where we're at with Rasmussen. Because of the difficulty of these matchups, if the matchups were easier, I think there'd be much broader appeal. So for me, it's more like AL-only leagues, maybe any sort of league with a keeper component. If you're keeping 15 players in your league, maybe there's a chance he's your 15th keeper but I am tempering the expectations against the Red Sox these next two times out for Rasmussen. Uh, let's talk about Glenn Otto for a moment because this is a guy that is getting an opportunity in Texas right now, probably overlooked in a lot of more shallow formats and understandably so. He has not been confirmed yet to start on Wednesday, but they've got a, a bunch of guys out right now in Texas. So it seems like there's a pretty good chance he's going to get a chance to follow up on that impressive MLB debut. It's mostly a fastball slider mix. He does have a changeup, but I think for me, when I see a guy breaking in in Texas, I start to think useful home streamer, and that is not what I used to think about Rangers pitchers uh, because some of the guys that they've trotted out there this year are legitimately just not good pitchers, but the new ballpark in Arlington plays a lot differently than the old one, and Otto at least had some Pretty interesting numbers in the minors in the Yankee system before the Rangers acquired him. So there's a few things that actually make me somewhat interested in him as a relative unknown prospect. Yeah, and I mean, you said it, right? Useful home streamer. We'll look at that matchup this week against Colorado, assuming that he does get that start. And I think you're right. We don't have official word, but probably a safe assumption to make. Even if you're going into your bids later tonight and there's no word from the Rangers that he's sticking the rotation don't worry about it too much. You can safely assume that he's going to get to make that start. So right there, boom. Right, like I think Rasmussen's a better pitcher than Glenn Otto right now, but I would much rather have Otto on my team this week than Rasmussen. I mean, I think he's an easy guy to prioritize if you're just looking at the week ahead. Give me that home start against Colorado rather than the one against Boston that Rasmussen's going to get. And I do think that's where Otto settles in for the rest of the season. Assuming he sticks in Texas's rotation, he is a useful home streamer. I suppose there's a, a spot that, I don't know, the Rangers' uh, September schedule off the top of my head, I suppose there are some road spots where you could use him as well. But I think that's the spot that he lives in the rest of the season, a streamer. And then we can revisit what his value is in 2022. Yeah, they might as well see what they have in him because there's at least a chance he's part of their rotation in the future. Seven Ks over five scoreless against Houston in his big league debut. Uh, after that home series against the Rockies, they've got the Angels on the road, the D-backs on the road, Oakland on the road, Houston back in Texas, and then the White Sox in Texas. So maybe a stretch later in the month where you're not necessarily going to use him, but you could probably use him for a couple of turns before he goes back to the waiver wire in most circumstances. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
why. A few other pitchers to look at. Matthew Boyd should be pitching on Sunday, and that'll be his first start back from the IL. First start where you'd actually be able to use him, however, is going to be at Cincinnati during this week. It's a tough matchup, and it's a really tough park for Boyd in particular because of his past issues with the long ball. So I'm really kind of inclined to say this is a lot like the Rasmussen situation where if you're not really thinking about your ERA and your whip anymore and you're just chasing wins and Ks and and hoping to get lucky in that regard, that's sort of where Matthew Boyd falls because of the difficulty of this matchup. Yeah, I'm generally out on this at Cincinnati, and then after that would get the Rays at home. Two tough matchups coming up here, and also two tough matchups coming off the IL, so who knows exactly what's in the arm. Uh, yeah, If you don't care about the rates, sure, but even in that situation, I think that's really the only one you could be in where you're thinking about grabbing Boyd today. Willie Peralta still out there in a good number of leagues. Nobody wants to believe in what Willie Peralta is doing. <laughs> he gets a home matchup against Oakland, so not a bad spot. And then he's got Pittsburgh in the turn after that. So probably a couple of starts where you can use him if you're just looking for another arm. Maybe you've had some injuries or maybe you've got someone who's just been getting blown up in that last spot. Do you think Peralta has actually found a way to rediscover that 2014 form? And a big part of this is that he's got that split change, which has been just a nasty pitch that he didn't previously have. You know, I think that he's at least recovering some sort of that form DVR. Again, like I said, with uh, respect, to Rich Hill. Uh, it's August 29th. Guys basically are, or at least we have to take it face value as much as we can, what they've been for the bulk of the season. And Peralta's been an effective pitcher. So yeah, I think he has regained something of that 2014. And you look at these next two matchups, Oakland and Pittsburgh, I'm going for Peralta before Rasmussen. I'm going for Peralta before Otto. I'm going for Peralta comfortably before I'm thinking about Boyd. You could use him for his next two turns. And there's a lot of value in that as we turn the calendar to September. Yeah, I, I think there absolutely could be. I, I just think we we have this past association with him as a guy that couldn't stick in the back of a rotation. Therefore, we had no interest in him uh, being part of the plan. Uh, Bailey Ober has been often on my rosters a few times this season. Off the rosters right now because of a tough stretch of schedule and pitching well. So that's a little frustrating, but... He's made it through this this difficult stretch in better shape than I expected, and now he's got at least a two-start week here for us to think about. At the Tigers, a good first one, and then at Tampa Bay. In some weird ways, I almost would prefer to face the Rays at the Trop because it's a more pitcher-friendly environment. So I think this could actually work for people that are just looking for volume this week. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, Bailey Ober's thrown the ball pretty well against good opponents to the point where um, I'm not throwing matchup totally out the window, but I think he has earned some leash from the fantasy community in that he is not an entirely matchup dependent pitcher. We've seen some pretty good performances from him against good teams, against bad teams, against middle of the road teams, to the extent that I do think we can start evaluating him more purely based on talent and production rather than the offenses that he's facing. So a two-start week, even though it's not necessarily the easiest two-start week, again, I'm taking him over Matthew Boyd, and that's not just because of the two starts versus the one start. It's because of the uh, fact that he's just been simply better. I'm taking him over Rasmussen. I'm taking him over Otto. He's in a Willie Peralta sort of range for me. Yeah, this is a guy that's got four clear pitches, too. He's got a four-seamer, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball, and I think that sort of makes the stuff play up a little bit, just having that deeper arsenal when fastball velocity is not necessarily off the charts good, kind of in that 92-93 range most of the time. But Bailey Ober is really tall, has a different plane with that fastball too. It seems like it maybe sneaks up on hitters 
a little bit because of the extension that he can get with that delivery. Um, we've got also got Tyler Gilbert out here for a two-start week, and I don't know how he's doing this. I didn't know how he threw the no-hitter a few weeks ago. Is this going to work? Is this going to be another happy week for the Tyler Gilbert fairy tale? Um, I am not totally on board with that one, uh, but you do not, you don't mind the matchups, as you said, San Diego and Seattle and a San Diego team that is reeling right now. So you definitely don't mind the matchups, but this is way more of a matchup play than an Ober uh, play where we're basing it more on what he's done on it, strictly on the merits of his own performance. We're not necessarily uh, going that way with uh, Tyler Gilbert, even though the the fairy tale has been pretty going pretty strong here. Over these last couple of weeks, I am generally out on Gilbert. However, this week, yeah, that's where I'm at as well. I, I don't, I don't want to be there when this one turns, and I think it's going to turn relatively quickly. Even though the matchups on paper aren't bad, both are at home, Padres and Mariners. I think this could be the the beginning of correction for Tyler Gilbert. Uh, Drew Smiley still out there on a lot of leagues. I think I talk about him every other week as a two-start pitcher. Probably not quite that often because the schedule doesn't <laughs> work that way. But really tough matchups for him, even though he's shown some signs of turning things around at the Dodgers and then at Coors against the Rockies, where I know this isn't a typical Rockies offense, but you still worry about what that park can do to a pitcher on any given day. Are we talking about only the most dire of circumstances for Drew Smiley right now? Yeah, I think so. I do think so. And he's, you know, he's done well as a streamer this season, but you look at those two matchups and you really got to be in dire straits to want to chase Drew Smiley this week. There'll be other times to use Drew Smiley the rest of the season this week. Probably not the one for, I would say, probably 95% of fantasy managers. What do you think about Mike Miner by comparison? Because I think we have a, a worse track record this season, slightly better matchups for his two-start week, just because mm-hmm. he gets both Cleveland and the White Sox at home. If you had to pick one and kind of walk the tightrope with the ratios, <laughs> is it Smiley or is it Miner this week with these matchups? You know, I'm going to go Smiley, actually. As much as I hate those matchups, he's the better <laughs> pitcher. And, like, once we get to this stage, uh, like, uh, like, anyone's liable to light up Mike Miner. Right, and that's not necessarily the case for Drew Smiley. I don't think any team's liable to light him up. Obviously, uh, at Coors and at the Dodgers are light up situations, but I think there's more of a path to him pitching well enough in those two starts than there is to Minor, especially with that fully healthy White Sox lineup looming for him over the weekend. So if I'm picking one, I'm picking Smiley. But again, I would have to be a in a like a one in twenty situation to probably be going after either of them this week. All right, that's the. Bulk of the starting pitchers that uh, we have to get to for this week. So we, we got through them. And I think the the next progression for us is always looking at the relievers. This group is woefully thin right now. <laughs> Tyler Clippard was one of the few names that caught my eye who's still available in a lot of mixed leagues. He's closing games for Arizona. Obviously not a good team, but at the same time, he's pitching well enough where I think this could actually work. I mean, if you just lost Daniel Bard, who is no longer the closer in Colorado, and you were still hoping he was going to turn things around and keep that job the rest of the way. Clipper would at least be a potential upgrade now that he seems to have pretty much full control of this job in Arizona, which is disappointing because if we had this conversation a couple weeks ago and you said, who's going to be closing after the traded line for Arizona? I would have said, well, J.B. Bacoskis is going to be closing because he's the future, but he's not. It's Clippard right now. So is there anybody else out there like Clippard that you're interested in picking up as you try to chase down some saves here in the final month of the season? 
I mean, I do think that Clippard is the best of the group that is out there, that is reliably out there, right? I mean, I, we're seeing we've seen the rest of the guys get snatched up. Scott Barlow, he's getting you know snatched up. David Bednar, he's getting snatched up. I would be going for those guys before I'm going for Tyler Clippard, but those guys are pretty much getting scooped up. I would look maybe to the Cubs, and you see Cody Hoyer as someone who you could potentially speculate on, Manny Rodriguez, potentially someone you could speculate on, but again, like, that is a, uh, a shared job, no matter what, on a bad team. And so the value in Clippard is that there's no doubt about who's getting the save opportunities in Arizona. He might get three the rest of the season, like literally three, but they'll be hits. And there's something comforting in that reliability and in that knowledge. So he's the guy who I think jumps out the most as um, the, the to, for our listeners, for our viewers, who is most likely available in their league that they could go and get a 100% save share right now. He's who I would look to. Some of those other guys, Bednar, Barlow, if they're available, I'm definitely going for them first. But I would have to imagine in most competitive leagues, those guys are getting scooped up already. Yeah, I feel like you're looking at Clippard or you're looking at Carlos Estevez, who is taking over that closer role in Colorado where Daniel Bard has been removed. But the Colorado closer train, we know that that is a, a bumpy ride all the time. Uh, 408 ERA, 140 whip on the season for Estevez. I mean, for his career in ERA, close to five. Yes, he can miss bats, but he gives up homers and he's been pretty hittable for a late inning reliever as well. So I actually prefer Clippard to Estevez if I had to choose between those two. And yes, Estevez is better than not having a source of saves if saves are still really clustered in your league. It's obviously a great time to make sure that you can even make up ground in saves because if all, if all you're really going to do is hurt your ratios or risk hurting your ratios and give away points in that category that two or three saves you might get from someone like Estevez probably isn't worth the effort. So definitely something to keep in mind here now that we're almost into the final month of the season. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's get to some bats, though. And we're going to start with Ian Happ because I think Ian Happ is actually turning things around in a pretty big way here in August, playing a ton for the Cubs because, of course, they've gotten rid of everybody. Who so, else is gonna play? <laughs> right, his his first four months don't matter because they want to play him. But he's hitting 268 with a 333 OBP and a 561 in August. There is still some legitimate swing and miss concern in the profile. He struck out, I think, in a third of his plate appearance this month, but he's walking 8.9% of the time, and he's exactly the kind of guy that a lot of 10 and 12 team leagues has been on the wire for a few weeks just because of how bad things have gone for him this season. I actually like him as a bounce-back candidate for next year already, 
And I think we're starting to see him lay the groundwork for that. Because the playing time is so solid, I think he's actually a really strong pickup this week in what is generally a pretty thin group of hitters. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think that's a really good call, DBR. And we actually got a question on YouTube uh, from SGTSIV here asking if we could uh, talk about some RBI and homer guys in a 12-team league. Well, I think Ian Happ certainly fits that bill. I think he's fine to use in a 12-team league. The thing you like about the Cubs for the rest of the season is that the guys who play are playing every single day. David Ross is I, I, does he even look at a lineup card? I think he just like copy and pastes it every single day, the exact same lineup into the next day because uh, who else is going to play for this team? So Ian Happ's going to be playing every single day. He's going to be hitting in the top half of the order. And we know that even if he's not the shortened season version uh, of a player that we saw last year, he is a much better hitter than what we've seen for the bulk of this season. Maybe not super consistent, but the peak should be higher and also more frequent. And I think we're seeing one of those go on right now. So Ian Happ, I think a very easy guy to get on board with for the remainder of the season. I mean, a month, right? 30 or so games left in the year. He's going to get 130 plate appearances the rest of the season. And there's a lot of value in that brand of playing time. Even with that lineup being really watered down, he's going to be near the top or at the top of the lineup too. So the production won't lag quite as much as it would if he were stuck in the bottom third of that order. I think a lot of the help on the wire this week is actually in the outfield. Brian De La Cruz is a guy I picked up in NL Labor, I want to say maybe two weeks ago now. He's getting a lot of playing time right now, too. I mean, this is exactly like the first thing I'm sorting by most weeks on the waiver wire is at-bats for hitters. I just want to know who's actually getting time, who might not have been getting time before. De La Cruz is a kind of interesting player. He was in the Astros system and has tools like a little bit of everything that he can do. He can run a little bit, has a little bit of pop. We saw 12 homers in 66 games at AAA earlier this season before he ended up in Miami. So I, I think there's actually something here to get excited about. And I would say like Hap versus De La Cruz is kind of a toss-up for me where they're both available. I'd probably are on the side of Hap because he's already gone through the adjustment phase against big league mm -hmm. pitching and kind of had to fail and figure it out a couple of times. De La Cruz, though, I think is, is a viable contingency option at the very least. He struck out a bunch so far in his uh, season with the, the Marlins, but I still think even with that, there's maybe a little bit more bat-to-ball consistency for De La Cruz than there is for Hap. So I could see someone going after De La Cruz first if they can make up ground in the batting average category more easily than they can make up ground in homers and RBIs. I think that could determine where you go with these guys in a vacuum if you're just looking for overall production. I agree with you. Hap would be my first play. Then De La Cruz. But he can do a little bit of everything, right? You said he can hit for a little bit of power. He can run a little bit. He's got those bat-to-ball skills. So maybe the batting average can play. Not at the 350 level or wherever exactly it is uh, right now. But it can certainly play at a 300 or 315 level for the remainder of the season. So got to like that, too. Definitely a nice guy to take a look at. Hap first, De La Cruz second in a general setting. For me, but both guys who I think should draw plenty of interest later today on the wire. Yeah, since we're looking at outfielders, are you an Edward Olivares guy? Because he's back in Kansas City. <laughs> the Royals, we know, aren't, the Royals no. aren't an Edward Olivares guy, that's for sure. <laughs> it's so strange. I mean, I, I realize it's a very, very small sample and it's been up and down, which makes it even more difficult to settle in for a hitter. But yeah. 
242-273-484 line. I mean, a 273 OBP is a guy that we're generally not that excited about, but he's shown some power, five homers in 66 plate appearances with the Royals this season. He's got a couple of steals as well. And he really just looks like the guy that has nothing left to prove at AAA at this point. This is his first time at the level this season, but in 63 games there, a 298 average, a 370 OBP, a 524 slug, 13 homers, 12 steals. I mean, that's a pace of basically a 30-30 season if we're talking about a yeah. full 162. So I think I understand why people are excited about him and why they want the Royals to play him. But when you see how much he struggled just in those little glimpses with the Royals, I can also start to understand why they've been so quick to jettison him from the roster when they've been at full health. I, I, I suppose I can see it too. But then at the same time, it's like this team's not playing for anything this year. And, you know, maybe Olivares isn't a everyday player in the future, but he could certainly be a useful guy, a fourth outfielder, a guy who moves around a little bit, can play in multiple positions. And we're still talking about someone who's 25 years old, DVR. I mean, maybe a little bit old to have these huge hopes for him for the you know next five years of his career. But again, a guy who can be a useful player. And so that's just a long way of saying that he should be playing every day for this team. And you know, 484 slug for uh, this season and the 66 plate appearances that he's had with the Royals. So I think he's he's behind Hap comfortably. He's behind De La Cruz relatively comfortably as well. But if I'm in a deeper league and those guys are gone, or if I don't have the the fab dollars left to win those guys, I could see chasing Olivares today. Yeah, I think the frustration for a lot of people would be, you know, why are you playing Michael Taylor over him? Like that's <laughs> that's the you? guy because <laughs> we know who Michael Taylor is as a player. We've seen enough of him. There was that little glimpse in April that maybe there was something more there, but it's power, it's speed, it's a low average, a low OBP, and great defense. That's fine. Like you're trying to win games, and maybe you got to make a decision on those two guys. Maybe Taylor's glove is more valuable than Edward Olivares' bat. But it's late August. Your team's not going anywhere this year. Find out who the better long-term player is by playing the younger guy. Use the playing time you have right now as the valuable currency that it is to get some answers about Olivares. So I'm on the side that's frustrated, although I'm definitely not the one like tweeting about it every single time it happens. There's always people <laughs> dropping notes, and they're like, hey, he's back, but he's going to be gone tomorrow. At the very least, they're going to probably play him against lefties because that was a situation on Saturday. Andrew Benintendi was on the bench uh, in, that, in, the, in those circumstances for uh, Olivares to play. Uh, let's talk about an infielder in Texas who's been red hot lately, Andy Ibanez. This is another one of those Nando All-Stars. I've talked about him a couple times on this show, I think, over the course of the season. And he's 28. He's a rookie. He's never had a chance in the big leagues before. And the minor league production's pretty good. Low K rates, acceptable walk rates most places. Not walking a ton right now in his first pass against big league pitching. But all things considered, this is actually a pretty solid debut at the plate for a guy that has an impressive minor league track record. And a guy who's going to play a bunch the rest of the season, too. And I mean, you know, I hate to keep going back to the same themes, but when we're talking about this group of hitters, right? You said it right at the top, not a lot of hitters to go after. You said it last week on this show, not a lot of hitters to go after. That's just generally what you're going to have to assume if you're playing the wire for the rest of the season. There's just not going to be that many hitters to go after. Guys have uh, made it clear if they are fantasy relevant. Or not. There are a lot of guys injured. There are a lot of guys who aren't going to be pushed back into lineups, especially on non-contending teams, because what's the point of doing that if they're a little bit banged up? And so you're looking for playing time. You're looking for playing time first, and you'll actually worry about the actual skills 
later, Abanias has that and has shown us a decent amount of skills. You get the multiple eligibility, meaning not just second and third, but uh, middle and corner. You like that, so you can do a lot of things for you. You don't necessarily need to be chasing a specific position because of the way he can fit in with whatever existing parts are already on your team. Definitely like Abanias as a guy who can help you out the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I think he's just the kind of player that's not going to hurt you. He'll pile up decent counting stats in at least deeper mixed leagues. I don't know if he's going to be 10 and 12 team mixed league relevant, but 15 teams and deeper, I think he should absolutely be rostered at this point with the playing time that he's getting. There's another outfielder that has caught my eye. I know he was picked up in a lot of 15 teamers last week. That's Jake Myers in Houston playing center field on a regular basis there. He started every game going back to August 14th, so two straight weeks of playing time, and he's done well with it. I mean, he's stuck in the bottom third of that lineup, but bottom third of Houston's lineup isn't really a problem. So uh, what do you make of Jake Myers, and do you have as much interest in him as you do in guys like Olivares and, and De La Cruz? I think so, mostly because of the um, because of that lineup that he's in. I mean, if you're playing every day in Houston's lineup, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to have plenty of uh, RBI and run scoring opportunities. So for that reason and that reason alone, I would put him in more the Olivares camp and maybe even would go after him first ahead of Olivares. I wouldn't quite put him up into the Happ or De La Cruz group. I do think that we have a stratification there where Happ and De La Cruz are the guys you're going after first, and if you can't get them, then you look on to the next guys. But you love being invested in Houston's lineup and especially uh, a team that uh, still needs to be uh, mashing and winning games here. Maybe get that uh, number one overall seed on the AL side of the playoff bracket. You like that they're still playing for something in September. So I do think that he is someone who uh, checks in third for the outfielders for me this weekend. Yeah, I think the thing that keeps Myers stable playing time-wise for a little while at least is Chaz McCormick is on the IL. So they got Kyle mm -hmm. Tucker back from the COVID list, but they lost Chaz McCormick. So I think Myers holds a little more playing time, a little more consistency with the playing time than Olivares at this point. But I do think he's maybe just a notch below Brian De La Cruz if you're in a situation where both of those guys are available. I did see Bobby Bradley is back, by the way. So if you're looking for cheap power, and I know that was something that, that was brought up uh, on the stream, like I, I think Bobby Bradley could be that guy, but it's probably just that big side platoon role. I don't know how much exposure they're actually going to give him to lefties. And obviously, there's always that downside risk in the batting average category with any player with that profile. But we've seen it with Bradley now for almost a half season's worth of plate appearances. There's still a glimmer of hope that he can get the K rate down a little bit, but... We know the power's legit. Yeah, that's definitely true. And so, like, he's another one of these very uh, predictable guys. I guess I sort of go back to uh, Rich Hill and what we talked about with him. Like, you know exactly what to expect from Bobby Bradley. It's exactly what DVR just laid out. If that works for you, great. If it doesn't, great. Then move on and don't even think about him. But, like, don't expect him to be something that he very clearly isn't. Some other names that are catching my eye. I'm just looking at a couple of my more shallow leagues just to see like who's actually playing. Alcides Escobar <laughs> is playing a lot right now. Like, do you believe in this at all? Like, not really. It's kind of weird that Alcides Escobar <laughs> and Willie Peralta are both fantasy relevant again in in certain circumstances. But yeah. and yet I'm still in my late 30s and not my early 30s. What the hell's up with that, DVR? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works. But if you're just looking for for infield playing time and need a contingency bid behind Andy Abanez, I would say that Alcides Escobar, because of the way they're using him, actually might yeah. be pretty high on that priority list as a fallback option. Uh, some other names. Odubel Herrera is still out there in, geez, like 70% of 12-team NFBC leagues. That's sort of surprisingly 
uh, high availability just because his playing time has been consistent for a while. So I guess we could throw him onto that list of possible outfield options, more consistent playing time than Olivares. So at the very least, just kind of goes in the middle of that group if you're uh, comfortable rostering him. Uh, Jesus Sanchez is back in the mix. I guess he could actually be part of the reason De La Cruz doesn't get every single day playing time. Finding a way to play both of those guys could be a little bit tricky. Uh, The thing that I'm looking for this time of year, though, and this is very individualized to every league, are the injured players that ended up getting dropped because a lot of my leagues either have no IL spots or very limited IL spots. And for players who looked like they were going to miss most of the rest of the season or possibly all the rest of the season who actually come back this time of year, you end up finding kind of unexpected gems on the wire because of fortunate injury news. One example of that for this week might be Yasmani Grandal. There's actually a handful of leagues out there where he had to be dropped and he came back. And I think even though there's, clear batting average risk, he's going to be an upgrade over the bulk of the catchers in the pool the rest of the way. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And, you know, it's funny. I live in Chicago. It's it's, he got some weird hate from White Sox fans earlier this season. And then he comes back in his first game and hits a bomb. And it's like very clearly an upgrade for everything that they want to do offensively and defensively. For that matter, uh, it's just sort of an aside here. But yes, I mean, how many catchers is he not in a clear and obvious upgrade over? It's a, it's a small group of guys. And then again, slotting right back into that White Sox lineup, a full-strength White Sox lineup. Really for, I mean, now that he's back, is this the first time all season we've seen the fully formed White Sox lineup? Just because Aloy was gone right off the bat. And so with him, with Aloy back, Luis Robert back, like this is the first time we've really seen the White Sox lineup as Rick Hahn constructed it in the offseason. So something interesting to take forward for the rest of the season and then when this team is in the postseason. But yes, Yasmani Grandal, if he's out there, go ahead and get him for sure. The Angels are giving Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele a lot of playing time. At this point, Marsh is more widely available than Adele. Uh, Any interest in those two Angels outfielders? I mean, I think what what we're getting at with all of these outfielders that you're mentioning is that they're all just contingency guys. Like, uh, sure, I have interest in them, but it's after all the guys we've actually talked. It's actually after the guys that we want. It's after Hap. It's after De La Cruz. It's you know. So that's that's really where these guys slide in. And again, like we've said it with a few guys now. Like we know what these guys are. We know what these guys offer. And so you find a way to get them on your team. That's fine. But like these are all all contingency guys. We're talking about the like I make if I'm going after these guys, it's identical bids for all of them. I don't really care too much how I order them. I want those big guys first, and then if I have to settle for someone like Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh, so be it. But it's not someone who I'm really going after with any sort of vigor. If you're looking for some optimism with Joe Adele, the K rate down at 25% right now. Again, very early for him just in terms of the overall body of work here in 2021. He's not nearly as available as Brandon Marsh is at this point. I think Marsh is only rostered in about 20% of leagues, whereas Joe Adele is rostered in about 80%. And we're Right now, I'm looking at, again, 12-team NFBC leagues, so anything deeper than that, Adele's probably gone. But that was the main concern with Joe Adele. That was the main reason why he didn't make the roster earlier this season. They wanted him to get the K rate down. And just seeing that number down through his first month or so worth the plate appearances in 2021 at the top level, I think that gives me a lot of hope for him for the future because the power's legit. You know, I, I think he's going to be a fixture there for a very long time, and whether or not he's able to cut the K rate down kind of determines where he ends up in the lineup long term. If he's stuck in the bottom third, it's going to be difficult for him to be a huge impact fantasy guy the way we wanted him to be as a prospect. But if he's 
doing enough at the plate, controlling the zone well enough to be a middle third or top third of the order hitter, especially in that lineup when they get healthy next year. That's a team that should score plenty of runs with a healthy Trout, a healthy Otani, a healthy Rendon. You start putting secondary guys in there like Joe Adele, and suddenly they're at least going to score. Even if they can't prevent runs, they're going to score plenty. They'll still find a way to go 78 and 84. Trout Trout and Otani will be 1-2 in the majors in war by like a billion miles, and they're still, "Eh, yeah, we just couldn't, couldn't fit it all together this season. Yeah, that's absolutely true, but they will score a lot of runs along the way and probably be a fun team to watch because of their offense uh, as a result. So just a a glimmer of hope for Joe Adele as we uh, go on this Sunday. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can find Beller on Twitter at mbeller. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can get our best deal to sign up for The Athletic at theathletic.com slash podcast. 50% off is the deal right now. It's one of the best deals we ever put out there, so be sure to sign up for that if you don't already have a subscription because we've got fantasy football content, and if you didn't draft already, got to have that panic moment of, what do I do? Fantasy football season is here. Get our draft kit. we got customizable rankings, so if you don't want to just take Jake's good rankings and work off those, you can actually mess with the numbers as much as you want and go from there. A lot of great articles, a lot of great strategy pieces to check out as well. And of course, check out the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast if you're playing fantasy football as well. More Michael Beller than you can shake a stick at if uh, if you listen to that pod. So be sure to check that out. But that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday. Uh-huh.